Today on Training Group Live. Budgeting ammo and training efficiently are important things to consider this shooting season. Andreas Yankopoulos and national champion Mason Lane join me to share their thoughts and the methods they are using to conserve ammo and training. After the paywall, we continue the conversation and discuss the skills we feel you should be directing a majority of your ammo towards and how to assess the results you are getting. Welcome to Training Group Live, your home for all things practical shooting. So make ready, it's time to train. Welcome to Training Group Live. Today, we have a very special treat. We have Mason Lane. Uh, Thanks. Go ahead, sorry. No, I wasn't actually going to say anything, but thanks for having me. <laughs> of course. Um, Mason is now a national champion, which was not a surprise to me at all when that happened, but that was super exciting. Um, Mason teaches classes. Well, your GM. Mason beat a lot of people, probably very noteworthy, beating a lot of people shooting one-handed. Yep, uh, yep. Is there anything well, else I should throw out there? No, that's, that's, that's the cliff notes on the interesting stuff. All right, so Mason's very good. He says a lot of smart things. And then we also have Andreas Yankopoulos joining us. Good to be here. Yeah, so the topic for today is being efficient with your ammo and thinking about training. And I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Like maybe in my early days of shooting, the, the place it goes, you talk like, oh, Mason, how much do you shoot a year? And Mason's like, oh, I shoot 10,000 rounds. I'm like, oh, this guy's a chump. He doesn't train. And then if I say, <laughs> Mason says, oh, he shoots... 50,000 rounds a year. I'm like, oh man, this guy's really serious about training. Like, you could have went and threw them all in the berm for all I know, but that number, like, people equate to, you know, really meaning something. And, uh, you know, with the way the situation is now where ammo's, you know, we tougher to get a hold of, availability, all that stuff, cost, whatever. Uh, I think the days of just going to the range with a bucket of bullets and just firing and hopefully figure something out, those days are probably gone. So, the goal of today is how to budget the ammo you have and then paying attention and, you know, hopefully being smart in your training. Yes. So, I mean, I guess the place to start with this, um, Andreas made a good point. We were talking about this before is kind of what, consider what you want to get out of the sport. You guys think that's a fair place to start with this at? Yeah, no, that was definitely when I saw the, the outline, if I, if it's okay to leak that we had an outline, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, so that was the first thing I thought. I was like, well, it 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 depends what what you do depends on how serious you are about what you want to do in the sport. But you know, obviously, everyone listening to this is probably relatively serious. Yeah. So, what would be an example of you know casual shooting? You go shoot with your friends. Maybe you want to be pretty good. You're going to train up, or maybe you want to be like a death stalker, like Mason, to go win you know national champions and area matches and all that kind of stuff. So, um. How do you, I mean, what do you guys think? How do you, I guess the first thing to figure out is how much ammo do you have or what do you have to work with? And then where do you even go from there? So I yeah, if, I, you have, if you have some idea of how much ammo you have for the year, you can start planning out what majors do you want to shoot? What club matches do you want to shoot? What, uh, what sort of practice do you have? And you can do some math and find out that if you shoot these matches plus these practices, if you end up with a negative number, then it's not going to work out. And you got to, you got to do some prioritization. If you, if you shoot, if you add up what you, what you think you need and you're coming out ahead, then well, good for you. Then you're, 
you don't really need to worry too much. And I think it's the uh, people who have who, who want to shoot more than they have that hopefully we'll have some good ideas for those people uh, in this podcast on how to kind of fit a, a square peg in a round hole as far as the, the round count <laughs> and how much ammo exactly. they have. Yeah. Uh, Mason, give me something actionable. So let's say I have 10,000 rounds. I have 15,000 rounds. Like where would you even start with the math? Subtracting uh, majors first. Is that a place to start? I mean, it, well, like I, like I sort of hinted at, I think it depends on what, what you want to get out of the sport. And I think probably the best thing to analyze is as far as yourself is uh, what part of the sport is it that you really enjoy, right? If you're someone that's listening to this, it's probably pretty likely that you you enjoy getting better and applying those skills at training uh, or, you know, applying those skills at matches, you know, sort of taking advantage of your training in that way. That's at least what motivates me. If I was never told I could never shoot another major match, all your guns have to stay at home. You're in Canada now. I probably would not continue training on the level that I am. Cause for me doing training is, is only fun because I get to use my skills and matches. Yeah. Uh, so for me, like the nationals, uh, the area matches, like sort of the preparation matches and the main event card, uh, that stuff is not going anywhere. Uh, some of the in-between filler matches that I do just out of habit, like, Oh, I'm, I'm the, the X number in a year row champion of this section match. Those probably are going to start to get cut. Right. All the mm -hmm. ones that are there just because you do them because they're fun for me are probably going to go away. Uh, the last place I'm going to look to start stripping away actual rounds is going to be in training, just because, you know, at least in terms of the uh, the, uh, the frequency that you're doing it. You know, there's some stuff you can do to strip down volume, and I'm sure we'll dig into that a lot deeper. But uh, that's the last place I'm going to want to go. Like weekday matches, like crap like that, messing around with your friends at the range, uh, lesser important matches. For me, that's where I would start right from the jump, and that's, that's what I'm looking at. I have 20,000 rounds to split between me and my fiance 50 50 for the year and and that's it so like that could very well be unless the primer situation changes what i have for the year so yeah um and then you you know you're talking about like important matches where maybe there's you know a lot of people have a, maybe a weekly like an indoor something fun a casual match that you go to and shoot and if it's two stages maybe that's that could be 60 rounds it could be 40 rounds whatever uh, but if you did that every week, that could easily be several hundred rounds a month that, again, it's kind of priorities. It's a fun night with the guys that you like, you know, hanging out, then maybe that's a good use. And if you want to be, you know, a, a death stalker at matches, maybe going just, I mean, the shooting doesn't really matter. You're just there to hang out. Maybe that's something you want to reevaluate too. Yep. How many bowling pins are you going to be shooting this year, Joel? Exactly. Uh, still quite a bit. Do you think it matters if, um, like, depending on how comfortable you are shooting matches? And that's a, a very good an, point, too. That yeah. if, you're, if, you're, if you're a newer shooter and you get extreme match nerves or have a lot of problems remembering stage plans, and if your fundamentals are okay, but your big problem is executing them at matches, then maybe you would want to lean towards shooting the matches and maybe cut out some of the practice. Yeah, that's definitely not just a niche market. That's definitely worth uh, worth looking at too. I, that's probably a good amount of people. Uh, part of what I was going to say too is, uh, uh, and, and your training anyway, as far as trying to strip away resources from your training as much as possible. A lot of people, you know, they they sort of gain skills by working at stuff and repetition and doing like regular training, like you would expect, do working at specific drills like over a long period of time. And I recommend most people, obviously, like do some kind of training to string those skills together, right? Where mm -hmm. 
through whatever methodology you want, variable style training, or just kind of, uh, you know, holding yourself to some kind of a consistency standard on, on drills, you're setting up stuff where you're combining two or three different skills via movements, movement skills, like specific gun handling stuff and like a five to 15 round stage. And, uh, Practicing stringing skills together and seeing what stuff degrades is like a really important part of most people's training when they can't get to matches, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so, so that's one of the areas where, apart from just like figuring out how to control the gun better and like testing what's going on in dry fire, I think is one of those areas that has to stand up for almost no matter what level you're at, right? Because anytime you're building new skills, you got to make sure they actually exist outside of a vacuum. No, that's really smart. Yes. Uh, and I guess for me, like we have a monthly outdoor match with there's some talent there that's like non-negotiable. I'll always go to at least one match a month because it keeps me in the mindset of there are people here that are going to, you know, beat me if I don't do well. I can't have a poor match. It's still you still performing under pressure. I'm still working on, you know, visualizing shooting stages. So to me, like for my for me my shooting, at least that one one match a month where it's monthly, that's something I need to keep doing because that keeps me in the mode of going to matches and stage planning and work operating under pressure and stuff where like you're saying, if I just practiced, uh, I'm not going to shoot any matches other than nationals, and I just practice all year, I wouldn't be, like you said, there's some pieces of my training that would be missing, like being under pressure or visualizing something like that. So, so I think uh -huh. we can, so I think one thing we can all agree on is that when you cut out a ton of ammo, you're going to have to be better about identifying your deficiencies and kind of focusing on how do you, how do you address those deficiencies? um, effectively, or how do you deficient, how do you address those deficiencies, um, efficiently that you don't have the, the bucket of ammo where you can just go out and work all the things. So you kind of have to look at your, if the important thing to you is doing well at matches, like, well, what's stopping you from doing well at matches and then mm -hmm. identify those things and figure out how can I work on those efficiently in training? Yep. Mason, how would you pick out something like, you don't, I don't need an example, but how would you identify a deficiency? Do you have well, any suggestions? The most obvious way is from match results, right? Mm -hmm. Well, not match, not like numerically or percentage wise, but like the content and data you get collected from the specific stuff that goes wrong on stages, like videos is the best place to start, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like, I think someone very smart once said, you're not just looking for like the lowest hanging fruit as far as the outliers where you really mess stuff up, but more so the lesser mistakes that are happening more frequently, right? Mm -hmm. those, are gonna, of, those are going to those of a thousand cuts. Yes, exactly. Right. 100%. So like those sorts of things, that's the stuff that's perhaps not the low hanging fruit. Right. But is the stuff that should shape your long-term training over a season. Uh, that's the obvious place where you sort of find, find things that need to get worked on. Like I said, also uh, just a minute ago, uh, doing like the micro stages where you're combining a bunch of different skills, which you have mostly down. A lot of the time, like in the context of divided attention or just like trying to do too much, too many things using your conscious attention, right? That's when you really sort of figure out which skills you do and do not have down. And that stuff should be noted and uh, brought to isolation. Uh, but both those things to me are usually like the first ways that I'll do that. I'll figure it out. I like that. Um, and like you said, looking for trends were so a friend of mine, uh, Loud of State, he sends me this video and he's shooting a indoor match. And all it was a stupid stage, I mean, frankly, but all the shooting is at like 15 to 20 yards. And it just looks like you like go to the box, you go to this box and you just shoot stuff. And he's like, oh, I had problems. And I like, I didn't get really spun up about it at all. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. So like it was a, a weeknight after work. It's like, yep. Is that something you normally feel? Well, no. What do you feel like happened? Well, I don't really know. I'm like, were you 
out of it? Were you thinking about something else? I see it's not very well lit. Did you maybe you were focusing on the, the front sight, wasn't seeing the target? Maybe you couldn't see the, you know, whatever. And he's like, Yeah, I don't really know. I'm like, Do you really feel like that's normally a problem? Well, no, but this match has bothered me. I'm like, Yeah, I'm not I'm not spun up about that at all. <laughs> like it really does it effectively does not matter. I don't care. But yeah. then what if it's a nice sunny day and you go to the range? Is that shooting a problem? Oh, well, no. Like, yeah, I don't care about that match. Just dismiss it, done. Yeah. But I think sometimes people get really where oh, I dropped a magazine one time during the 10-stage match, so I need to really go work on my reloads. Like, no. How about the yep. fact that the gun was like, you know, you were slow in bringing the gun up every single time you get to a position. Yep. Let's worry about that, not getting spun up about one little mistake. Like, yeah, I don't care. Is that fair? Yeah, I know we're getting, like beating the dead horse now because you you just lit, nailed that. But uh, I, like, I just went down and shot the Florida State match, did some training with some people and like shot the match with them. And I, it was 11-stage match. Almost all the stages had, you know, it's it's a first match I've shot in two months, so there's stuff that goes wrong or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the very last stage of the match, there's a section where you can shoot, like, five or six plates on the move, like, around the front horn of this stage to save a little bit of time. And it's basically, it's like, it flows better to me, so I'm going to do it right. Mm -hmm. And I go, and I shoot 15 rounds at six pieces of steel, which oh, baby. If, you're, if you're doing the math on, on production, how production works, you know what, what that means, right? Uh -huh. So obviously like the easy answer is, Oh, I'm just going to go shoot a shitload of steel and I'm going to get like, get, get this figured out. Right. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I should be looking at the entirety of the rest of the match, figuring out, am I at consistently missing steel? And, and if so, in what conditions is it under? Right. Cause mm -hmm. Perfectly wide open, maybe shooting slowly on the move, but mostly standing comfortably, missing nine times on steel. That is not, clearly not an average reflection of how I shoot in stages, right? Right. I have to just kind of take that with a grain of salt and take that for what it's worth. I'll post the video of it. Whenever whenever this is going <laughs> up, I'll post a video of it. I'll tease it because it's, 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 it's such a mess. It was awesome. It was so bad that it was instantly funny to me as it was happening. Yeah. Well, yeah. And if I was in that situation, it'd be like, hey... What were the other factors? Oh, it was hot. I'd been on the range all day long. Oh, there was a lot of there was a lot of pressure. I was in a position where I could maybe win this match, and it came down to that stage. Oh, I didn't feel like I had the right grip. You know, fill in the blank. And that's not to make excuses. Oh, it wasn't me. But that just means, yeah, Mason's already a a death stalker at that skill. That's not where I would, you know, where he, you know, maybe you feel like you want to work on her. I don't, you know, it's just an outlier. So exactly, yes. I agree with you completely. Yep. Um, okay, so. You've got ammo maybe budgeted. You've got deficiencies maybe picked out. What do you do? You just go to the range with a bucket of ammo? I think we, <laughs> and work on it. I think we'd all agree some form of dry training is the place to start with this stuff. Don't you guys think before you even load your gun? Yes. Of course. Tell so, me more. So we, we assume that everybody's doing dry fire practice at home, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully. So, sure. okay. So we can, um, do we want to talk about dry fire at home or start talking about dry fire at the range and how to either man, uh, at home's fine. I mean, whatever you want to do, you surprise me. So one of the things Ben got me thinking of is to not really separate dry fire and live fire training or doing dry fire at home versus doing dry or live fire at the range that it's, it's all training mm -hmm. and to think of it all as training and kind of one thing, as opposed to now I'm unloading the gun. Now I'm loading the gun and that you may be 
loading the gun and putting live rounds on target for a specific purpose, but that's not necessarily better or worse than dry fire. So I think when you, when you're limited on your, your dry fire bangs, I'm sorry, on your live fire bangs, then maybe you need to think a little bit more about why am I going to put a live round into that target? And could I get by with either just pointing the gun, getting a sight picture, or maybe just prepping up to the wall of the trigger, or maybe just, uh, unloading the gun entirely and, uh, doing dry fire at the range. Mason, what do you have to say? Maybe some drills you don't even need ammo for that is counterproductive. Is that fair? So, yeah. So the parts, the part you said, I'm asking myself why I'm pulling the trigger. If it's if strictly necessary, that's the part where the dry fire on the range to me is really, that's the essential question, right? Uh, I haven't read the new book yet, the the practical shooting training in its entirety. Obviously, I like just got it. I've barely started it. But in my discussions with Ben, he dug into a lot about how at various levels of a person is at, you're doing essentially the same stuff, but the assessment is very different, right? Mm -hmm. Because various things are important at various levels. Uh, and to me, like that's the that determines whether or not you're going to be using rounds in a drill, right? Is the assess is the actual shooting performance a part of the assessment on a given drill. If I'm practicing delivering at match mode, just stringing skills together, like seeing what happens, I'm doing testing, then it is probably important to be using live rounds in a gun. Mm -hmm. uh, if not, right, if I'm practicing moving or if I'm practicing one specific niche scenario of, of the drill that I'm doing, then the gun probably should not be loaded and I should not be using rounds. If I'm not really paying attention to where they're going or the, you know, the marksmanship component is not really the emphasis, right? Mm -hmm. So, so Mason, I think you or I, you and I are of a uh, very like mind in that your training kind of has two distinct parts in that in one sense, you're training to improve some focused skill. And then you're also training for execution where you're stringing yes. a bunch of skills together. And when you're doing that, it's more of a, a just shoot mentality. Like I'm just going to shoot this and I'm going to see what happens. I'm just going to observe. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Versus if you're training a specific skill, then maybe you're looking for uh, like a particular feeling in your hand or a, a particular sight index or particular footwork. And that's, and that's the focus of the drill. Yep. Being very particular on like one specific assessment point, right? Yeah. That's, that's how I, I break it down. I, I, in my, in my own training, I refer to that in shorthand as testing and training, right? Okay. I agree with that completely. Um, and I mean, even, I guess to skip ahead a little bit, even in doing like classes this year, um, or even in the past, honestly, where ammo is not a problem, I'll have people on a shooting range in a class unload their gun on a perfectly good range because I want them to learn stuff without having ammo in their gun because it's distracting when the stupid things, I, say, I know I say this a lot, but the dumb thing is going off in front of your face, it's recoiling, gotta hang on to it. There's a safety issue, all this crap. And maybe all I want them to do is when you when you draw the gun, move your support hand and make sure your support hand actually does stuff. It doesn't just hang at your hand, uh, hang at your side while you you know draw the gun and then your support hand chases on the way out. Or maybe your gun you know gun handling is an easy one to um, to talk about. But there's also drills like bar hop. I'm sure you guys would be familiar where you you basically have a stick on the ground. You have two targets. You start standing on one side of the stick. 
You engage each target, you move the other side, and you engage the two targets again. Well, when you start chaining together skills, sometimes things falls apart. So just if me just telling someone, shoot these two targets, step with your whatever, like your weak side foot across, like cross step, then move your other foot, uh, you know, to like set up again, feet, the rule is when you stop, feet or shoulder width apart at least, knees bent, and then shoot the targets again. Sometimes just like that small little event is too much where people are just, if they're not accustomed to that, that's a lot of stuff to do back to back. There's really no reason to even spend ammo. If I'm just trying to have them do, hey, draw the gun, you know, shoot two targets, step, shoot two targets. Just working on chaining things together or doing, you know, target transitions, watching how the sights track. There's so much stuff you do not need ammo for. Yep. And with uh, with stuff like bar hop and movement, those I always, when I'm teaching, I always have people do that uh, dry fire first to do a lot of dry fire reps. Just because if you're trying to move your, like, if you're trying to learn how to walk and chew bubble gum at the same time, or you're, you're trying to point the gun at stuff and move your feet. Um, I mean, a lot of people, if they've really haven't shot outdoors much or haven't shot much in matches, that's a very complicated skill. And mm -hmm. they're not, I'm not doing them any favors if I'm having them shoot live rounds initially. Yep. I completely agree. It's another way to say the same thing. When I do the, uh, a lot of movement training with people, I always say, is your attention on the ground or is it downrange? Right. And mm -hmm. that's going to determine whether or not you're unloaded. And that's going to also determine the scale of the ambition and the complexity of the, of the drill. Right. If you're still learning what to do with your body, your attention is on the ground. If you're actually worried about the assessment and seeing if this, this, this thing still happens with live rounds, then your attention is downrange. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. And I think sometimes people get uh, maybe over, maybe it's not the right term, but overwhelmed with events where like what you're saying, even if it's static shooting, like a target transitions and it's, you draw to an easy target, there's a, a, a medium difficulty target, a really far target, and then a close target or whatever the, whatever the array is. And they'll kind of remember one little piece of it, but they won't remember everything that happens or they're shooting an eight round drill. But really the part they really, really care about is how they're doing on the partial target. The other targets <laughs> don't really matter. You know what I mean? So then it's like they spend all their attention on one thing, but they're shooting another six or eight rounds of the drill that honestly really didn't even matter. All they wanted to do is just assess one small little point. So yes. Joel, you couldn't have, uh, you couldn't have teed that up any better for me. Oh baby. So, um, been thinking about this concept of, of, uh, what I'm calling filler targets, which are that there's some specific skill you want to test and it could be shooting a partial, it could be something with your feet, or it could be a reload, could be, could be anything. And you're putting in targets beforehand just to get your mind spun up and to get yourself moving. And so maybe that maybe the assessment target you want to shoot, but do you necessarily need to shoot those filler targets that are happening beforehand. So when you're out, when you're out training, let's say you have something that could be a, a 10 round drill, for instance, but there are only two rounds on a partial that you're really worried about. So how much are you losing if you're just indexing the gun and maybe prepping to the wall on the first four targets? And then you fire the, the two shots on the target you really care about. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Uh, why not think in those terms if we're, if we're running on an ammo deficit? Yeah. That's an interesting concept. I've not done that in training at all before. I know you've been talking about it a lot. Um, 
Mason, have you done that at all or experimented with that in your training at all? Yeah, I got, uh, the, I got the idea from, from JJ. He's put that out in his podcast and I did a class with him. So just want to not take credit, try to not take credit. No, no, I, yeah. I would say I, I haven't done it uh, very much in my own training, but I've also never been as short on, on ammo as I'm going to be this year. So I, I'm probably going to start messing around with that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when you're doing a lot of training, right, calibrating the difficulty to draw out errors is done by diverting your attention using those filler targets. But if you hold yourself to the same standard with your grip and your prepping, like prepping the trigger and not pulling pulling through on a, on a perfectly good range, as you would say, Joel, it probably uh-huh. takes just as much attention as shooting rounds at it, right? Yeah. So if you can get that same job done with less resources, obviously that's, that's what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I really like having, I mean, I make people do in class is do a, a dry rep, then a live rep and back to dry. Because it's interesting when people, again, on a range or at home, when they do something dry so many times, they kind of forget that it's a real gun. I think some people do their their sight picture becomes a little lax. They don't grip onto the gun, maybe quite as hard as they should. You know, just some of those things fall apart. But if you, I like target transitions a lot. It's, I guess it's something I talk about a lot. But anyway, if you're doing target transitions and it's, uh, you draw the gun and it's just to sight picture, acceptable sight picture that you're being very real about on every single target, not pressing the trigger. So I look at a spot, I bring the sights exactly where I want. My eyes go to the next target, the sights track, so on. I go through the drill. Okay, now do it, do it live. They do it live. Then doing it dry the next time, in my experience, that makes it more real because it's really fresh in your mind. That thing goes off. You have to hang on to it. You're paying really close attention to where the sights are stopping, all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that's been quite beneficial, and I've done that a lot in classes. I like that and, a lot. And I think that's also very good from a diagnostic standpoint. If, you, um, if you're seeing a problem on a target, Mm-hmm. to immediately unload and dry fire the drill that I had an aha moment on this a while back where I was pushing shots to the left on a, on a open target after a wide transition. So I was transitioning as a target hard left. I kind of, there's a target to the left of the range at a target downrange and the, the downrange targets, I kept pushing shots to the left and I wasn't sure what was going on. Is it, was I aiming at the wrong spot? Was I gripping the gun or was I, over gripping the gun with my right hand as I pull the trigger? Was I pushing sideways on the trigger? I couldn't really tell because the gun was going off and I, mm-hmm. I couldn't really tell what was happening. And then I just unloaded the gun, immediately dry fired it. And I came onto that target and I felt my whole tense, my whole hand tense up as I pulled the trigger. I'm like, okay, we just, we know what that problem <laughs> is. And I mean, I could have been out there all day with firing live rounds at the target. And I don't know if I would have picked it up, but one dry fire rep and paying attention to what was going on as I was dry firing was uh, that did it. And it may yep. be something that you can't really pay attention to the sights and your grip at the same time. So maybe it's something you need to dry fire two or three times where you watch how you're indexing the gun one time and then put your mind on your hands for looking, looking for excess tension another. I like that a lot. That's smart Here too. Can I take and I ask another question of you guys, sort of in the same vein? Of course. Uh, I find that I like the uh, the concept of training is training, right? And you treat the mm-hmm. gun, not treat it like it's loaded, but you know, try to address it the same way with your hands, regardless of whether or not there's ammo in it. 
But I find no matter what I do, even if I put all of my emphasis in dry fire on making sure my grip and everything is correct, when I go back to live fire after stretches of not doing any, uh, maybe not my actual grip pressure and direction, but the way that I return the gun is always different than what I'm expecting. Yeah. So one of the drills that I've been doing lately is just simply a combination of two of Ben and Juancic's drills. So I'll do in succession, I'll do doubles and confirmation drill semi-simultaneously. So I'll do two reps of doubles. I like 15 meters because for me, it gives, it paints the, the shots and the sight on the target in a way that's easier to detect what's going on without actually looking at the holes. Mm-hmm. Like I can see that my sight is drifting into different zones and not just in one arbitrary area. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of 15 meters or so, I'll do like two reps of doubles, and I'll see how they think those are going, kind of calling the shots. And then I'll do, I'll shoot one shot and I'll try to return it back down to the exact spot I want to. So it's sort of like I'm seeing where the site is going the same way you would in confirmation, but I'm trying to drive it back down to the spot like you would in practical accuracy. So there's three drills really that I'm combining. And I'll do that once or twice and then I go right back to doing doubles. And I'll try to only do it for like 10 to 12 rounds at a time. Hmm. But bouncing back and forth between those two things, I've figured out over this winter because I have not done a lot of live fire so far that I can I can get dialed into what the gun is supposed to feel like within like three mags. And then I'm pretty well good to go as far as returning the gun properly. I like that. I think I know what I'm going to do at the range tomorrow. I'll try that for sure. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's been interesting. It's something I sort of tried it just like I was doing a mag of doubles, then a mag of practical accuracy slash confirmation. And then I just started doing both of them at the same time, like kind of just for shits. And it worked really good. I'm like, oh, wow, I can see exactly what I'm supposed to do when I do this, right? Yeah, I've been doing it more. That seems like it's going to be very mentally challenging to. Yeah, it's it's definitely tough. Yeah. That sounds like a very tough drill. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I can see well, the value there. I do also because the goal is. I mean, like when you go to the range, especially if you haven't live fired for a while, the gun always feels like it kicks like a cannon. Even no matter how much I shoot, it always kicks more than I'm expecting it to for the first maybe magazine or something like that. Like, oh yeah, this is the way it's supposed to feel, and then you kind of, like you said, kind of recalibrate, I suppose. Yep. You guys do anything else that's sort of like that? Like, what do you, what's your go-to to make the returning the gun and gripping the gun go properly so that normal live fire practice can continue after spells of not really doing any? I've been doing, yeah, I've been doing what you just, I've been doing what you described before, which is the doing some doubles and then doing some practical accuracy. Okay. Treating them as separate. But yeah, cool. the, doing them one after the other, I, I like that a lot. All right. I guess I must be onto something then. I like it. Uh, normally, normally my, like, I mean, to this day, and I've been doing this for years, uh, whatever I'm doing that day, if it's some little scenario, some little drill, uh, I try to treat it like it's the only shooting I'm going to do that entire day that matters anymore. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to do that uh, because I, I want to perform well at matches when people are watching and the first stage can't get thrown out. So I'll, I'll go to a safe area at my club like a table when no one else is there and there's no match and do a little bit of dry fire draws, like like whip the gun out of the holster really fast and get a proper grip, press the trigger a little bit. And then kind of like in my brain, somebody's telling me make ready. And then like, that's my first, my first, you know, let's say a couple magazines are just like, just doing the drill, just like, Hey, this really, really counts. And if this looks bad, this is going to hurt my feelings. I'm going to be irritated about it the rest of the day. Um, so anyway, that's that's kind of like my little getting warmed up. By the time I've shot a couple magazines, I remember how much the gun kicks, and then I kind of kind of move on from there. Right. So one um, 
another idea I wanted to run by you guys is if you have a tendency to just stay at the range and keep shooting, like mm -hmm. when I've been thinking, at least for myself, that maybe I've been shooting too much or staying at the range too long. Mm -hmm. And what I've been trying to do lately, and I don't have any matches to back it up yet, but um, is if I do one of these drills where I'm running it for execution and it goes really well, I'll just pack up and leave immediately. That takes a lot of discipline. It does. But it takes a lot of discipline, but it feels really good. Like there's definitely like a, like a little pang of, oh, I should be training more and I'm, I have gas left in the tank. But then I tell myself, well, I've, I've shot 150, 175 rounds. Let's leave on a good note. And I don't know how much I'm actually leaving on the table. I'm kind of curious what you guys think. Like if you have a, you're out there, like maybe I've been shooting for 90 minutes. So between, I've done a lot of dry fire. I've done some live fire. I've kind of hit, covered the bases. And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I'm kind of feeling about done. And then I just absolutely nail a run. I'm like, you know, let's just go. Instead of, instead of burning some more ammo and probably just making myself angry when I inevitably <laughs> screw something up. Mason, what do you have to say about that? I like it. I envy you. <laughs> I, uh, I have a hard time. Uh, I have a hard time leaving until I, until I feel like I've, I, I guess I can't even articulate why I have a hard time leaving. I guess I just have a hard time leaving. I remember, uh, on a podcast way, way long ago, Ben told a story about how he, uh, he was going, he's preparing for nationals, like doing his last, like last session before going to some nationals. And he showed up and shot. I, I don't remember what it was literally, it was a double digit number in any way. Mm -hmm. At any rate, of that number, many rounds, like in this practice, like yeah, this is good enough. Like I feel fine. I'm ready to go. And so I've tried to channel that into my own training. I, like some of the matches, especially last year, that I was getting ready to go to, uh, I try to do something similar. Where like when, once I'm feeling good, just call it quits. Because if you go for too long, you just start to feel like shit, and then mm -hmm. you know you're you're in a worse place than when you began. Yeah. But I have I have a hard time having the discipline to walk away when when I'm on a high note. So I I envy you for that. I think it also depends on where you're at in your season. If that's right before uh, a big match that I care about, my gun's zeroed and I'm shooting great, and that, that leaves me on a really high note where I'm going to feel great about myself, maybe that's a good time to leave. Uh, I don't, <laughs> for better or worse, I don't have any illusions about my shooting ability and skill. So if I'm having problems, I'm more likely to want to keep working at it because I don't want to feel defeated, which can be, I suppose, a blessing and a curse. But then that also gives me data to take back to dry fire, because then if I'm I'm having problems, figure out what's exactly what exactly is the problem. Am I pushing down the gun? Am I not? Am I returning the gun too hard? Am I not not looking at the right spot? Am I not? My feet aren't doing the right thing. What's exactly going on? And then if I can quickly address it, cool. And if it's something that needs more attention, then I've I've got to go home and work on this because this is obviously a problem. So the the not like that the feeling defeated. I think is um, like, I know like we, we all teach and we all tell our students that we're just teaching you how to train and you're mm -hmm. not going to get amazing today. And mm -hmm. we should probably tell ourselves that too, that you're not going to just solve all your problems <laughs> in one range trip. Right. It's like, if you, yeah, I, I, I feel to. like, yeah, I know. I mean, but I, I feel <laughs> like if I, if I go to the range and I, 
like something's not working well in my shooting and I, and I can just identify it. I feel like that's been a successful range trip now. And I just know that in the past when I've identified something and I think, well, I'm going to solve this today. I end up throwing 300 rounds down a rat hole. Yeah. And it, it never gets solved. It's I've never, it's like, maybe it's worked out one out of every 10 times, but normally I just leave the range angry and that's not good for anybody. I think we've all been there. Um, I've got something really smart to say about that, but I think it's time to do my corporate duty and be like, Hey, here's the paywall. So if you want to hear <laughs> the rest of this conversation, <laughs> uh, whatever, we'll be right back in a, in a few. Welcome back. I'm still sitting down with Mason and Andreas. And guys, the next thing I want to talk about, uh, I'll be real with you. Even when people are dry firing, I feel like sometimes, frankly, people don't pay attention at all to what's happening. They get to where like they go through the motions. They're maybe they're bringing the gun to the target. They're snapping away at the trigger, whatever. And they just, for whatever reason, there's a disconnect. They don't feel like the same, like they're firing live ammo. They're not paying attention to the results. Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Do you agree that's the thing? I think it is. And there's kind of a pro and a con to zoning out when you're dry firing. Tell me more. Okay. So when you're trying to develop a skill, I think the, uh, the, the value of, of dry fire is going to be proportional to how much attention you're paying. And there are a couple of different things that you can pay attention to. And I think we'll get to that later. But I think also sometimes zoning out is a good thing that let's say you're working on reloads. And if you're just kind of zoning out and you just, you're nailing your reloads, well, that, that's probably a good thing. That, that, that means that that skill has seeped down into your subconscious. So maybe you're, you're working on that you identified a problem and that you're not holding the gun at the right angle to receive the magazine. So then the magazine binds up when you reload and then you're paying a lot of attention to your, uh, to the angle of the gun as you reload and it's starting to happen that you're, it's going in, that the magazine's going in smoothly. And then at some point, if you just kind of catch yourself that, well, I haven't been paying attention to those last couple reloads and the magazine's still going in, then yeah, that's, that's probably you've been successful in your training and you've kind of pushed that new magazine angle or new, that new angle that you're holding the gun into your, uh, into your subconscious. And now that's just becoming how you reload the gun. I have two questions. Yeah. So number one is to what extent do you think practicing muscle memory by doing mindless reloads is helpful to make increasing consistency on demand and uh, I kind of forgot what my second question is, so I guess we'll stop there. So on the first one, I think that just doing those reloads is good. Doing those reloads in the, with other skills around them is even better. So I think if you can do the reloads without paying attention, that's a good start. But then if you put the reloads in between some target transitions or a short move, that's kind of the real, the real test. So if you okay. start zoning out and you're nailing the reloads, I think that's good, but it's probably premature to pat yourself on the back. Uh, how about this? We throw this out and you tell me what you think. How about zoning out 
you probably are still thinking about something. Maybe you're not thinking about the task at hand, which means the reload, but yeah. instead you're thinking really intently about looking at a spot and driving the gun to that spot you're looking at. So uh, the thing, I, a term I use a lot, which I uh, probably got it from Ben, is queuing. I'm not sure if you guys think of things yeah. in that way. Yes. But basically yes. a very specific input, and that gives me the desired uh, the desired effect I want. So for instance, a cue for me to know I have the right grip of my support hand is if I feel the uh, be my middle finger and my ring finger on my firing hand, if I feel those being smashed into the grip almost to where it's uncomfortable uh, because I'm gripping so hard with my support hand, that tells me that feeling means I've got the grip I want. Like yeah. I'm hanging on to the gun hard enough if I'm making sense. So, and if I'm doing a draw and if I feel the, it's like, it's even tough to describe, but the beaver tail just hit the webbing between my, my index finger and my firing hand. If I feel it hit the very specific spot, I already know the draw is money. Yeah. Because I know if I get that exact feeling, it's like, let's go. I got what I wanted. Yeah. Right. So yes. let me throw this out there. What if you're working on reloads and while I'm really working on it really intently, I'm thinking, and everybody has a little bit different. For me, when I bring the gun in, uh, kind of the inside of my forearm, I suppose, uh, just under my elbow, I guess, uh, I kind of touch my side. Uh, so just like, I don't know, rib cage area, whatever. Like I bring the gun in that low and I kind of feel that contact there. That's the right spot to bring the gun. For me, when I'm reloading the gun, the magazine uh, well is angled towards the ammunition source, towards the pouches. And then that like that's the cue for, for me to bring the gun to that spot. Right. Well, I've done that so much, I don't really think about that anymore. That just happens. So I think as I've got better, the cues that I use keep changing. And I use a cue that I, I need to give me a desired output of bringing the gun to the right spot. But as I, I don't use muscle memory because your muscles don't really have any conscious thought. Uh, but I suppose it kind of explains what you're thinking or what the, what the goal is to explain. But if I bring the gun to a precise spot and I build that habit in, where I'm so used to doing that, I then move my attention to something else, a different cue, and the ones that I've programmed in so much start to happen on their own. Yeah, I think thoughts, you're, yeah, I think that. the cues, I think the cues get more general and more spaced out. That, like, like it's like for like for position entry, for instance. Initially, you're thinking like, where do you want to put each foot? Mm -hmm. So you're thinking, I like if you're doing a like a three-step entry or something that you like, well, this foot goes here, that foot goes there, and then this foot kind of gets pulled in a little bit, and I'm good. And then eventually you get to where you just look where you want to go. And the rest just kind of works itself out. Mason, what are your thoughts? You guys are killing this. I'm just, I don't have to say anything. I, I do think... Uh, uh, well, well how, do you, how, how do you teach these things, maybe? <laughs> uh well, I mean, all those all those concepts that we're batting around are really more like psychological concepts than they are really, you know, shooting mm -hmm. concepts, right? And it's not really anything that's innate to just shooting. Yes. Uh, I think the muscle memory thing, Joel, that you alluded to, I like, I usually like to swap people in the wrist when they start throwing around words like muscle memory, but there are definitely jobs that happen as a pure result of that. Muscle memory is, is synonymous with subconscious skill, right? Mm -hmm. shit that you don't have to you don't need to cue yourself to make it go properly which is the same thing andreas was saying right mm -hmm. uh, and once that's happening on a subconscious level through muscle memory then yeah it, it shouldn't it shouldn't really be 
be cocked up really with any kind of frequency at all, even in the context of divided attention or more complex shooting skills, right? Obviously, uh, I think most people that are pretty switched on and wanted to listen to, to, to this part of the podcast, they probably enjoy the part of training when they're doing queuing, right? And trying to get down new, more interesting skills that are, are not easy to get right. And that's why you have to pay attention to something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it definitely gets to a point, especially with the skills that are subconscious, muscle memory, whatever you want to say, that the more cognitive attention you put on it, the less likely you are to get it right because you're disrupting that flow, which is, again, essentially the same thing. The flow Bro, in, that was fl- deep. Flow yeah. in sports is, you know, fl- psychological flow is, you know, defined by a bunch of different factors, but they are all essentially what you hear Enos describe when he talks about the shit that he sees when he's shooting a stage, right? Where the time just kind of disappears and things fall together and you're not really aware of what you're doing. And you can sort of pay attention to stuff that seems irrelevant, right? All -hmm. those factors are all essentially the same thing. Muscle memory, flow, subconscious skill, you know, all that stuff is what's happening when you're, you don't really need to pay attention to make stuff happen. Yeah, you're not going to get your best performance when you're thinking about what you're doing. No, not at all, right? Um, so then, if I'm if I'm doing kind of guess I guess the place my mind goes with this, if you're doing a skill on a subconscious level, like I couldn't say any better than Mason just said because that was fire. Um, your attention has to be somewhere, or attention should be somewhere. And I like experimenting in training with where I put that attention. Uh, I'll be straight with you: the majority of my training. I think the next play for like me and a lot of people to level up is paying more attention to your vision specifically. I think like this is the way, honestly. Mason, you're shaking your head. Would you agree? Yeah, I, that's where I was going with it if you didn't. Perfect. Walk me through it, man. Well, your vision, right? Most people are not visually specific enough when they're working on transitions and things like that when they are trying to just execute using skills they already have, right? Mm -hmm. So your vision as a system, as Ben would say, it's what guides your motion through the stage. You visualize the stage that you have point to point to point, transition from here to here, eye goes to a spot on the ground, run there, et cetera, reload, whatever. All those points, right? They're all very specific visual items that go into what Ben would call a cue stack, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so from that point, right, being visually specific is done simply by following your visualization or by being very consciously visually attentive of particular spots in the stage that need your attention, right? As long as those are spaced out by enough time that your mind can do the gymnastics necessary to get you oriented and there aren't so many that you can't manage them, things go pretty well. And it's the same thing in a stage or in training, right? You just have to be mindful of how much how much you're giving your – how much really – not biting off more than you can chew with your mental processing. I like that a lot. That was deep. Holy crap. Yeah. Well, thank you. That was what I was saying. That's what I meant to say, but just you said a lot more eloquently in a more coherent fashion. And so. probably too fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy listening to that again on the podcast. Word. The um, Another comment, a related comment I wanted to make is you guys are talking about um, paying attention visually. And what I've been experimenting with is in, in dry fire is in the same drills, running them and just focusing on different parts of the execute or putting my conscious mind on different parts of the execution. So you kind of know that in order to, to place a shot on the target, kind of based on how difficult the shot it is or how tight a shot it is, that there, there are things you need to see. And then there's like, there's things you need to feel in your grip. And then there's a 
degree of trigger finger isolation that's needed. And you can really only pay attention to one of those at the same thing. So I think it's, it's valuable as you're working on your dry fire to try cycling through those things about doing the drill, like you're like that maybe you're working on an El Presidente and to really focus on the, the visual aspect of, of picking out a specific point on the target and driving the gun to that. And then also paying attention to your hand tension that is your hand tension staying even that you're got that crush grip with your left and a or crush grip with your support hand and that you're staying kind of loose with your um with your strong hand and then also really paying attention to isolate like doing it again and paying attention to really isolating the trigger finger that you're kind of isolating that, that second knuckle and that the the trigger motion is coming from there and that you're not kind of engaging the whole finger and the rest of the, uh, the fingers in your hand as you do it. Yeah. I think a really interesting case study of that, or at least the opposite of it is in this, I'm, I'm probably good calling out people more specifically than I mean to, but it tends to be like B and A class shooters. They're like, Oh, I can't zero my gun unless I split it at a 30. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> that means you're not paying attention to either something or anything when you're in the process of doing training where, you know, the only task is stacking shots on top of each other, which for mm -hmm. all intents and purposes should be easy, right? Mm -hmm. Like that part should not be hard. And I think doing just a little bit of what Andreas just described, mm -hmm. like that sort of, of thinking along the lines of all your training is what's going to allow you to get good at stuff that you, you're not good at yet, right? That should be an easy process and just sort of like playing with your attention as you're doing stuff is really smart. I agree. Yeah. Cause I've been, I've been fiddling around with shooting some B8s at 25 yards Oof. and, and that that's like, yeah, doing that with a Glock with an iron sighted Glock, like that's, that's a good gut check. But, um, it's interesting, like doing it, focusing on the visual, doing it, focusing on the grip and then doing it, focusing on the, the trigger finger isolation and just, seeing what you, what you, what you notice. Yep. No, that's definitely good. Yeah. Well, to summarize what you guys are saying, uh, to put words in your mouth a little bit, basically if you're plateaued and you're not getting any better doing things the same way you've been doing it, just isn't going to cut it. If you want to get better, I mean, to cut to the chase or more, I, I feel <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. do more. I'll just do five hours of dry fire instead of one. That'll make me better. I'll shoot twice as many rounds. <laughs> Great. So you'll, your hands will be smoked and you'll be out of ammo. Perfect. And, and you'll I be think angry. you do a podcast with another guy that does that, right? <laughs> and you'll be angry at yourself. <laughs> he does a bit of shooting. Uh, yeah, I don't, more is not better. So, I mean, so how many times have you guys had somebody shoot a drill and I'll, I already know the answer. So I'm honestly just assessing honesty or if they know what's happening and they'll shoot, let's say you shoot a, uh, they shoot a bill drill. And it's like, or target transitions, whatever. And the bullets aren't going where you want them to go. And you ask them what happened. And they're like, I don't really know. And you'll ask them what round it happened. What happened? What did they see? And they just draw a blank. They have no idea what just happened. <laughs> all, the right? <laughs> yeah, all the time. Yeah, all the time. It's like, and it's like deer in the headlights. It's like, well, what do you want me to? It's like, no, it's not what I want you to say. What do you really feel? What happened? And then if you kind of keep like press and not in an unkind way, I kind of keep pressing them. Like, well, what'd you see? Did you see the sights? Oh, well, what about your hand? Oh, I kind of, maybe I kind of felt my hand tense up. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's draw some conclusions. So you felt your hand tense up and you had trigger freeze. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. That's telling you something. So 
continue to do things. Say the same what way. one more time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but for yeah, real. I mean, that, that's kind of where you what where you almost take where you take it into a uh, when I'm doing that. If it happens when I'm teaching, um, I mean, I usually do a little bit of one on one time with each student as I'm as I'm teaching, and that that's the kind of thing where I'll tell everybody else to just go reload, and with that one student, we'll do a little bit of one on one where. I'll just have them or her um, say, well, aim at the target and just pull the trigger and watch the sights. And I want you to just keep your eyes welded on the sights and tell me exactly what you see as the gun goes off. Like, are they, are they just lifting straight up or they jump into the side? What's going on? And then we'll, we'll do the same thing and say, well, just, I want you to like, don't even look at the sights, just kind of put the sights on the center of the target and then just really pay attention to your hands and just like, tell me what you're feeling. Like, are you, are they twitching? Is the tension moving around? What's going on? And I think doing that is very much a trainable skill. And it's something that people at our level, I think, gloss over how difficult this is. Mm-hmm. And the, the analogy that I, I totally make up, because I don't know it's true, but I feel it has to be true, is that people can read Braille. Like if you run your hands over Braille, it just feels like a bunch of bumps. And that's, that's, that's what, like me running my hands over Braille is how I imagine a new shooter feels when I ask them to like, well, what did you see? Is there, what, what happened when the gun went off? That would be like me running my hands across the Braille and saying, well, what, what letters were there? I was like, I don't know. I felt bumps. And it's like one of those things where I think you need to guide people in on, like, these are the things like that you need to open your mind to and start paying attention to. And it's it's a process. It's a long process. And I think that when I've hit roadblocks in my shooting, a lot of the improvements have come through just learning how to pay attention to more to what's going on and like what what do I need to be paying attention to? And you, I find that as I really focus my mind in on things, I can I can kind of pick up some cues that I didn't notice before. Yep. You guys probably train like master class A and master class shooters, right? where you have to struggle to find ways without being condescending to say you don't do enough critical thinking. Yeah. Right? And that's essentially, yeah. that's essentially the problem at Bingo. every level when, when things aren't going properly or just not advancing. Yeah. Yeah. And like you guys were saying, look at each of the sen- senses or pay attention. So, Hey, just ignore the way the gun feels in your hand. Just watch your sights. What are you seeing? Okay. Now just let the sights do the thing. What are you feeling in your hands? What are yeah. you feeling in your shoulders? And then you kind of kind of force people to start thinking about all the different possibilities of what could be going on. Yeah. And then, like, so to speak, like, I mean, like you guys were saying earlier, I don't, you get somebody in a class, maybe they get better in the, in the portion of their class, maybe they don't. But the whole goal is teaching them how to train, how to practice, and how to assess what's happening. So, yeah. like, in my classes, the first, the first thing they'll do is... Uh, is just do a drill where I don't give them any instructions. This is what I want you to do. Shoot the, shoot six rounds of the target, whatever speed you feel is comfortable, whatever. And then by the end, I'm like, hey, what do you think that happened there? And maybe maybe it's not right. Maybe it's close. Maybe it's right on. But by the end, people, you kind of keep coaching and people start to draw conclusions. Like, hey, I remember this feeling causes this output. And then people get better at reading their own targets. But like you said, I mean, it's not going to happen the first day. So if you're not somebody that's, you know, taking a class and you're just kind of doing your own thing, start to look at your different sentence senses and, 
you know, working on drawing a conclusion to where your bullets go are going is impaired if you if you want to improve, regardless of how much ammo you have or not. Yep, exactly. Yeah, big, Kinda, I mean, I, go ahead, I Andres. A, I say a, a big thing you can do in, in dry fire or live fire is that I have people do in classes is at the end of the drill or, or kind of at the end, like where you, at the, where you want to assess yourself is to just stop. So at the end of the drill, uh, like don't be in a rush to dismount the gun and reholster it, but just freeze at the end of the drill and start at the front sight and work your way down to your toes and just kind of look at everything. So like, are, are, are this is the front sight where I want it? What's the tension in my hands? What's the tension in my forearms, upper arms, and just kind of work your way all the way top to bottom. It's like, are, are these things how I want them to be? Yep. That is and, smart as hell. And then just, yeah, when you notice if, if something's amiss, start looking for patterns. Yes. Like, and kind of as you, uh, Joel, as you mentioned, like, yeah, that, that these inputs create these outputs and you start looking for, well, when this feels off or like when I'm feeling this, this tension here or that tension there, or that that's pushing, that's like, I'm not getting the results in the target that I want. Yes, I agree. absolutely. I say that to my, to my younger clients all the time. It's like, I'm going to sound like a boomer when I say this, but you need to follow through. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. Um, so, I mean, we've talked about the stuff you can do without ammo. What stuff do you guys think you have to have ammo for? And when should you be shooting, you know, ammo? When's the best, the best usage you think of the ammo you have? Mason, well, I'll take I, it to you first. Sorry, go ahead. I think for training, like sort of like I talked about in brief, right? Uh, the actual returning the gun process, I find no matter what I focus, no matter how properly I, I focus my attention in dry fire, after enough time of not doing actual shooting, I find that the returning the gun process goes away. So for having a, a methodology to get your actual grip and gun returning to be happening quickly, I think is important because obviously the more efficiently you can get that to happen, the more you easier and faster you can proceed with actual live fire training, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's really important for one thing. Yeah, same. Uh, go ahead. I was gonna say same thing that the uh, the recoil control is the the big thing that you just can't do in dry fire because mm -hmm. the gun's not moving. So that's that's something where you have to fire. That's something where you have to fire live shots. And I think also. Um, Mason, what you were talking about earlier, where you're, where you're, you're putting a couple, I forget the term you use, where you're putting a couple skills together in like 10, 15 round, uh, uh, like mini stages. I think that's something where you got to do that a couple of times while you're out training and you gotta, you gotta, I mean, you can do some of those where you're mixing live firing some of the targets and dry firing others, but you, you got to do a couple running through with uh where you start with clean targets and you you do it for real or as, as real as you can get because like that's like that's what happened in the match is like they they go through and they score the holes so you gotta <laughs> like when you're gonna do a run and it's clean targets and you're gonna score it, it's like yeah that that kind of gets the juices flowing in a way that um dry firing is not so it just kind of so adds a level of reality I think uh, I've just noticed a hole when you just said that in the actual prescription that I give people in that usually I say if someone's going to do four 
live fire sessions. One of them they should be dedicating almost exclusively to doing uh, testing or combining skills. And I think what you just said makes a lot more sense, right? I always say frequency is better than volume. And if you can be, if you have a range situation where you can be doing that testing and combining those skills as you're working on them, that's definitely smarter. And do you think that that probably also, do you think that depends on if you have a big match coming up? I mean, if, I don't know. Because I, I see the, um, the, the working individual skills, I see that as more of like a foundational thing that you do early in the season where you're trying to level up your ability to, to do things or you're trying to get faster or you're trying to get more accurate or something. And then maybe as you get, start getting closer to, to major matches or the matches that you really care about, maybe you lean more towards doing a training for execution of just, okay, I've gotten a little bit better at these skills. So now I want to, 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 to solidify them like that, like the, my, my execution at that level. I could definitely see that. I clearly like the, the two weeks preceding a major match right for me is like the threshold where I'm, I'm focused on the match at hand and not just my skills. Yeah. Like you're uh, not going to try to level up two weeks before a match. No. And, and there's like a, a good month and a half cycle before that, where I'm doing like, like pre-train up where um my focus is still essentially on the skills that I'm trying to improve in general, but the focus in general is on the match. But I, th I think, at least for me, the uh, the ratio is more static throughout the year than just doing uh, skill building in the beginning and and you know maintenance or uh, comfortability training throughout okay. throughout the latter part of the year. It's more static. Like I'm doing some ratio, whatever it is, throughout the entire season with with small breaks for training up for matches. Okay. So how do you think with? Um... maybe you're, you're like how to effectively use dry fire in there with, uh, well, we've we said the question a different way. Are you okay. guys still going to be doing, uh, for marksmanship fundamentals, like doubles, practical accuracy, those See. types of drills where you stand in one spot and you shoot a target quite a bit. Are you guys going to still do that as much this year as you would have been past? Cause I mean, normally I would say a third to half of my training normally is you know grip you know you know in one way or the other reactive or predictive shooting are you guys going to be doing that this year do you think uh, for me yeah i mean yeah. I, I would say so i if anything more of that and and less of other stuff right uh, when i do testing or just complex drilling where i i set up a a a stage or a test and you know whatever goes wrong is becomes the micro drills for the day that becomes the isolation exercise uh, a lot of the time I just find like, Hey, my grip is not doing what I'm expecting. And I have one target that's set up in the corner of my range. That's just for doubles and practical accuracy. Uh, and so I really think if anything, like focusing on those fundamentals is, is going to be more emphasized if anything, not less. I totally agree with Mason that, um, things like practical accuracy and doubles are so foundational and apply to really across the board to everything we're doing. And I feel like if I can, get that nailed down better, then I can substitute in dry fire for a lot of other, a lot of my other training. That if I, if I know, if I'm doing practical accuracy on, on partials or practical accuracy at different distances, and then, you know, doubles at some distances, I kind of know when I'm, when I'm seeing targets, like I, I kind of, 
that that almost helps me pace my dry fire as I'm going through a going like as I'm dry firing a, a stage or dry firing a drill at a, at the range. If that makes sense. Yeah. You guys were saying exactly what I was hoping you were going to say. Well, I figured you would say. I think with especially if people are on an ammo budget, the fundamentals become even more important. And it's less time spent on the goofy stuff that is 5% of the match. Such as, I mean, I don't know, shooting on the move. I mean, you could call that position entry and exit. But some people really get hung up on shooting at the move where they want to be, you know, on this full run and nailing some target or something, you know, that you're going to see once or twice. Instead, it's like, let's worry about the majority of your shooting, which depending on your classification for Mason, it might be more shooting on the move for somebody, again, just to drop like numbers, me and B class. Maybe it's, hey, when you get there, gripping the gun properly, using the correct level of confirmation, and then shooting an appropriate either, uh, you know, predictive pair or reactive pair based on the target and transitioning the gun properly. That is the jam. You know what I mean? For maybe somebody in that situation. So for the, for, you know, I wouldn't say to go do some, and I don't know, you could fill in the blank with whatever that would mean for you, but something goofy that you're not likely to do a lot and really just hammering home the fundamentals the basics because that's the skills that you really that's what win matches honestly in my opinion <laughs> not being a national champion but you those... mean it's not shooting on the move three gun nation style at a full sprint negative oh shucks <laughs> so another thing i wanted to that, that relates to that that i wanted to bring up was um i guess ca calibrating your your dry fire okay where when, when you're at the range that's a great opportunity that you can set up a drill and you can, you get a start beep, right? So you, you know, the timer starts and then maybe you fire the last shot live. So you can dry fire a drill, everything but the last shot. And that'll get you a time. And then you can drive, then you can fire the whole drill, all the shots. And that that's I've been fiddling with that recently, and also if you film, like you film yourself dry firing, and then you film yourself live firing, you can kind of see how honest you're being with your with your dry fire. Okay. In terms of like, and this this particularly is I think is true once you start getting in torqued up firing positions or shooting on the move, and that's that. There are a couple of things that have jumped out at me where I've. Like videoed myself live firing a drill and then videoed. I'm like, yeah, I'm just not being honest there in, in a spot or two. I agree. I think, I think it's a really good idea. I that the shooting the last shot thing, especially that's like a that's a money idea. Yes, I definitely agree. So, what do you guys think about uh, uh, frequency compared to volume as far as like? Uh, What's the threshold as far as the minimum number of rounds you would want to shoot during a range session where you can still justify going and setting everything up and doing all the stuff? Uh, I know at least for me, like the pain in the ass factor is would play into that. If I had to go drive to a range, it's bring all my things. Uh, for me personally, just for my attention span, around 150 to 200 rounds would probably be that minimum threshold. But we all pretty much unanimously agree. Volume is is inferior to frequency, meaning if I can do more attempts at the same thing, especially on cold starts. I'm going to learn more than that. Yeah. Uh, having the gun in my hand more frequently is better than just doing a bunch at one time. Right. That's pretty much universally agreed upon in this day and age. So what do you guys think of that in general? 
So it certainly depends how far the range is. Like I, if I had a range in my backyard, then um, the answer is going to be different than real life where I have to drive 40 minutes to, to get to the range. Yeah. So I can say yeah. now I'm going to shoot once or twice a week and I'm shooting like 175 rounds when I go. I'm at the range for probably like actual time running around is probably 90 minutes. And then there's a little bit of setup and teardown on top of that. And yep. oh, sorry. that's, that's feeling super productive for me. I, I feel like I'm getting a lot out of it and I'm pretty excited about the, the matches that are coming up. I, right. I feel like it's going to go well. I think two or 300 rounds, somewhere between two and four, kind of depending on what I'm doing. Um, there have been days where I've only fired 200 rounds and thought it was extremely productive. And in years ago, I would go to the range and shoot six or 700 rounds. And then on the drive home, I was kind of thinking like, man, the last couple hundred rounds, I don't really know that I really got that much out of it. I was just kind of shooting and having fun, but I don't really know how productive it is. Um, so something I've tried to do is kind of pay attention to maybe not necessarily feeling like I'm winning at life or feeling defeated, but kind of my attention span, what my hands are doing, how I'm kind of feeling about things. And if I feel like I'm learning or not, is kind of a way I've, I've thought about training also, if that makes sense. Um, and I definitely agree with Mason's point, having even dry training, having the gun in your hand every single day is yeah. huge. Absolutely huge. Uh, so I mean, Mason's got uh, class dumps on training groups that I've watched that I enjoyed a lot. And when you watch Mason, or you watch your uh, your Finding 100 drill, uh, I'm using the term, right? Isn't that the title? Finding 100, I believe? Yep. Yeah, yeah. you can call it whatever you want. So, I, well, I like that. It's on your YouTube channel also. But when I, like, the very first thing that came to mind when I watched Mason, like, whip the gun out of the holster, you're watching him, like, administrative loading, chamber checking. It's like, man, is that, that guy sleep with that gun under his pillow? Because he's yes. not, like, he's not, oh, is it chamber checked? Oh, let's be very careful. And it's not like he misses the mag release. The guy just, like, whips the gun out of the holster. He shoots with it if he has to load it, reload it, unload it chamber check, whatever. It just all happens subconsciously. That guy knows how the gun works and he's not thinking about it. And I think that's another huge thing we haven't necessarily talked about, but you know, live firing, even if it's once a week, whatever. But if you have a budget and normally you'd go once a month, dividing that up and going weekly at least, I think if you have the opportunity is very powerful. Just like when you dry train, you constantly have that thing in your hand. It just feels like, I don't know, so cheesy, like a part of you, I suppose where you don't, where you don't have to even think about it. The gun, you just, the gun just does what you want it to do. Yeah. I yep. mean, your, your, your dry fire and your live fire are really, it should be enforcing, should be um, reinforcing each other. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, I think it would be great if I could just step out into the backyard, shoot 25 rounds and then dry fire like that. I think that would be the, almost the ideal where you go out and do like a cold run, maybe another run or two. And then like, okay, that's going to, drive your some of your drive fire for the day i think mm -hmm. that would be like that would be an ideal situation but i i can tell you that is the ideal situation i am extremely blessed and uh and the, there most of the time in the summer i go long spans of time without a day without at least like a few rounds being shot through chronoing doing a mag of doubles like whatever and yeah. frequency is so much more valuable than volume mm -hmm. like there's anecdotal evidence in all kinds of sports but the most famous, right, is Michael Jordan with a basketball. He carried that thing around like 
24 hours a day, like thinking just through osmosis, having the ball in his hand was going to make him better. And mm -hmm. well, lo and behold, he was right. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, so what about, I mean, we have talked about the low round count training. Do you think there are any downsides to that? You know, budgeting your ammo and only shooting the, the one magazine for the whole day of doubles if you had the opportunity to walk out in your backyard or going to the range and only shooting 100 rounds? Do you guys, what, do you, what cost do you think that comes with, if any? Well, I think uh, no matter what, like, you know, infrequency of live fire is going to create some level of hesitation or, you know, hand problems that are going to creep out uh, in live fire that you're not going to detect with dry fire. Mm -hmm. uh, like, like I, mean, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse now, but like the same sort of procedure I described to get comfortable with a gun in your hands. Mm -hmm. uh, I think like if, if I have to, if it, depending on the amount of time I take off, right. Uh, the, the amount of time it takes me to start to feel comfortable and just goes up and up. And when you're doing shoestring budgets, right, if you're burning up half or more of your allotment, just getting comfortable, then that's a really big problem. But mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing I foresee is, is, is like, just like Andreas talked about with the sort of the mindless reloads, right? There's some value in that just because you're reinforcing that subconscious skill and you can sort of play around with your attention in other ways. Uh, having the ability to do live fire uh, in sheer volume has to have some kind of value the same way that having that doing mindless reloads does, right? It may be not maximizing value to your actual reload to be doing mindless reloads, but clearly it has value and practicing point, pulling the trigger straight and controlling recoil has to be the same way. Uh, there's a reason that there are people that are good that shoot 50,000 or more rounds a year, right? I'm not mm -hmm. one of them, uh, mainly due to budgeting. Yeah. Sure. No, but there, there is a reason that people get very good uh, doing that. And, you know, a lot of those people have idiotic training strategies, but they have, you know, the materials to enforce even a relatively idiotic training strategy and still get very good. Uh, the other thing, I know it sounds dumb, but the other thing I think that comes with the lower round count training that I see being an issue uh, is, I don't know what you'd call it, mental weakness or not lack of intensity. Uh, but I think sometimes people get in the, I've seen this before, where it's the ammo budget and it's kind of like the, well, I guess I'll just make the best of what I have. And uh, I think kind of having a lackadaisical attitude towards that is definitely a problem. And again, I'm not a, a mental coach or a mental giant, but uh, I would just caution you, if you're on an ammo budget, to be very focused on making the, you know, shooting the rounds the very best you can, paying the most attention you possibly can and not kind of, you know, giving up, so to speak. Because I, I, I've already seen that happen a bit with some people. Yeah, I think that being on an ammo budget is going to be less of a problem for people who can really focus mentally and mm -hmm. make every shot count. And I think we talked about that before the break on asking yourself, why are you pulling the trigger on this round? Mm -hmm. And I'm finding that when I go to the range and shoot like 175 rounds these days, um, and I'm doing a bunch of dry fire. Like I am, I'm absolutely smoked at the end. Like I, I hit, I'm coming up on 200 rounds. I'm like, man, I am done. Like I am just, I'm ready to leave. I'm just, I'm feeling mentally tired. I'm feeling physically tired. And it's just, just the, the intensity levels been ramped up a lot more when, then when I would just 
show up and I would just not even feel ammo limited. It's like, I'm just going to shoot. And then at some point I'll call it quits. Oh, I totally agree. Um, and I think kind of the last place, I guess that I, in my mind to take this is like, if you we're all, I suppose, probably type a, where if you give me Mason, you give me some drill, I'll go to the range with ammo and I'll make it happen. It might take me a little bit and I might, you know, but I'll, I'll muscle through it all. Anything I see that's at least reasonable, I'll make it happen. And I think this is really also a good time to be, I mean, to plug training group, since you guys are already members anyway, looking at the class dumps, especially Mason's got a class dump. There's one with Kim and Ben, Ben's class dumps. There are other instructors looking at how other people, you know, are doing classes. And even if you're not instructing yourself, but just if you were in that class, what could you learn? Mm -hmm. And looking at how other people learn what they're teaching and be experimenting in that way. So not so much as just thinking inside your own little bubble. I think this is a good time to be, you know, exploring and looking for more information and trying to learn that way also. Yeah. I, it, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I think it's also uh, what you're alluding to. It's maybe more important than ever to find some other people to train with and share ideas on and just kind of looking for people who have come up with some ideas on how to train more efficiently or getting or a better a, way getting a, getting, a, yeah, getting a fresher set of eyes on what you're doing too. Not trying to reinvent the wheel. If someone's already got a better way of doing it that you haven't thought of, just use their way yeah. or their way of instructing it the way that it makes sense to you, the way somebody else is teaching it. You know, you don't have to make it all up yourself. Yeah. I think one of the last points that we talked about uh, not while recording is the importance of videoing yourself and checking yourself. Oh yeah. With, yeah. with, with irrefutable evidence. Right. And this is, that's in the same vein as what you guys are describing. Uh, take pacing things slowly and diligently uh, and using empirical evidence of your shooting video to inform your decisions is a really good idea, especially when you're trying to milk rounds for all they're worth. Yeah. And not just, not just viewing the video when you get home, but to look at runs yeah, in, in the moment, <laughs> in the moment. Yeah. No, the same totally way you would use a mirror and dry fire, right? You should be using your phone on the range. Yeah. And oh, also, it. It, also in your basement when you dry fire. Yes, absolutely. Well, guys, I didn't mean to talk your ear off for so long, but as the saying goes, I think this was a bang up podcast. That was, was. Uh, Mason of people, they should be watching the, the training group, the class dump for you. If they want to get a hold of you to take a class, do you have a, I know you have a website, you have a schedule. How would you want them to contact you or reach out to you? You can look on my website, uh, lane shooting and training.com for the schedule and to find my email. But if you want to set up a class, you need to email me at that email. Perfect. And I and can Andre get you all the information you need. And Andreas, I know you do classes as well. Yeah, um, I post a lot of stuff to Instagram. That's a good place to look for me. Also have a website, uh, yank.to slash shooting. And I, I post uh, classes there as well. Boom, love it. Cool, well, thank you very much for coming on, guys. I do appreciate it. And uh, I think this will be quite helpful to the members for sure. Thank you for listening to Training Group Live. Stay up to date at practicalshootingtraininggroup.com or pstg.us for short. If you have a question or a comment, head to the Training Group Live section of the forum. Remember, the best questions turn into show topics. If you aren't a member of PSTG, 
We hope today is the day we earn your subscription. And with that, train frequently, train hard, but most of all, train smart.